would you join me in prayer? Father, as we sing the words to that song, I'm reminded of the throne room vision in the book of Revelation. I'm reminded it's, it's hard even as you read the words in Scripture on those pages to really grasp the reality of what your presence will be like when we experience it at that moment. And so, Father, as we gather this morning as your people, your family, your church, I pray in the midst of all the things that are in front of us right now, the opportunities, the challenges, the things we're working through, even maybe things that are heavy on our heart as we prepare for a new week, I pray in the midst of all that reality that we would also see the more profound reality of who you are. And that even in the quietness of this moment, that we too could echo with the angels, holy is the Lord. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, good morning. Good morning and welcome. My name is George Davis. Thanks for being here with us or thank you for joining us online. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I too want to just invite you to be a part of what we are doing next week. If you haven't had the chance or haven't gotten online to sign up for a project, really want to encourage you to join us as we go out in our community in a variety of places uh, just to really live out the message of Jesus Christ. And encouraging you to uh, participate next Sunday. In many ways, what we're doing next Sunday is really part of what we've been talking about during this season in the life of our church. The, this invitation to go deeper and wider, deeper as followers of Jesus, wider in our impact. Even in this, this week, I was encouraged in a couple of conversations just to hear in different ways where people were at and just to hear different conversations about, hey, here's how I'm really feeling challenged to grow as a believer. Here's what I'm learning right now. Here's why I want to, here's why I want to learn more. Here's, even as someone explained, here's why I'm here at church now. This is what I'm wanting to see and to hear encouraging conversations of people really wanting to grow deeper as followers of Jesus. This is one of the reasons why throughout the year we're kind of encouraging you to think about spiritual rhythms and if you haven't picked up cards already we want to encourage you in different seasons of the year to kind of put into practice different ways to make room for God in your life even now the the practice of prayer. So even this morning just to pray through a psalm and maybe you know, that's not been a pattern for you to kind of actually pray through Scripture. So we want to encourage you just to take these steps of growing as a follower of Jesus. And of course, as, as we really make space for God to be at work, I think we also become more attuned to the opportunities that he is giving us to just live out our faith, to share and show the love of Jesus in tangible ways. And that's, that's what we're going to be doing next week. And so I just want to encourage you to be a part of that. But even as I encourage you to take steps next week, and even as during the season I'm really challenging you to, hey, how are you making space for God in your life? And how are you being attuned to the opportunities that he's giving you? Even as I encourage you to take those kinds of steps, 
I also want to acknowledge this. Sometimes in the midst of taking those kinds of steps, sometimes in the midst of following Jesus, of taking positive steps, of moving in the right direction, sometimes we are going to experience unexpected hardships and complications. And we need to be aware of that. In my own life, if, if I were just to briefly describe the first 25 years of my life, I think I would use this phrase. <laughs> everything just fell into place. The first 25 years of my life, everything, everything um, just fell into place. I, in God's grace and providence, I, in, in, those, in those years, I had people in my life who were just sources of encouragement and supportive. And with those relationships came opportunities. Um, opportunities educationally, work opportunities, travel opportunities. I mean, it was just like things were always falling into place. I mean, when I graduated from high school, someone I knew uh, basically said, hey, George, congratulations, and for your high school graduation gift, I'm going to cover your college expenses. And he did. And that was, that, was just, that was just one of the examples of just everything falling into place during that season in my life. And to be honest with you, in my early 20s, I thought, this is what life's going to be like. <laughs> and then I hit 25. And I, I went through a broken relationship which, to the best of my ability, I tried to handle well. And even in the midst of that, I was, I was aware of how God was, I think, intentionally guiding me. And yet, even as I took what I thought were these right steps in the midst of that situation, there were others who questioned how I was handling that moment. Others didn't see it that way. George, you've got cold feet. You're just immature. And there were those who questioned my decisions and my character. And for the first time in my life, it really felt like I'd made a decision that came with a cost. And I mean, if you want to talk further about it, I'll be glad to talk further with you about that offline. But suffice it to say, that was a hard season. It was painful. It was unexpected. And simply put, it knocked me over for multiple months, emotionally and spiritually. Now, I can't do this. <laughs> but... If I could go back in time and have a conversation with my 25-year-old self in that season, I think one of the things I'd like to talk about is actually the passage of Scripture that we are going to look at this morning. So now let me draw your attention to Revelation chapter 2. If you're new this morning or you weren't with us last week, we, last week we started this series in the book of Revelation. 
We're actually only looking at two chapters in the book of Revelation. As it turns out, this very provocative, controversial, uh, chaotic book, at least in some of our minds, this book is actually addressed to seven specific churches in Asia Minor, which is now a part of the world we know as Western Turkey. Not only is the book written to these seven churches, in chapters 2 and 3, there's actually literally a short letter from Jesus to each of these churches. And a recurring theme in each of these letters is this idea of overcoming. Overcoming. As it turns out, there are obstacles present. In some cases, these are just things people in the church are doing wrong. Places they've gotten off track. As we saw last week, it's a church of loveless orthodoxy in Ephesus. We're going to see themes like moral compromise, idolatry, self-sufficiency. And, and each letter, in each letter, Jesus kind of challenges the church in these places and, and says, look, you can trust me. I am achieving the victory, and that's really what the whole book is about, to show us the victory that Jesus is achieving. And because I'm achieving this victory, I want you to engage my victory, and I want you to overcome the thing that is in front of you right now. So in letter after letter, Jesus is inviting these people, these Christians, overcome, overcome. Overcome the obstacles that are now standing in your way of following me. Now, as he does this, there's a re repeated pattern, and you're going you're to see kind of elements of this pattern as we go through the letters. So let me just highlight that for you. In each of the letters, uh, there is a description of Christ. Christ introduces himself in a particular way, and, and this actually has links to the vision of Christ in chapter 1. And one of the things we'll notice as we go through the rest of these letters is, in some sense, how Jesus introduces himself to this church is related to what the church is experiencing at that moment. So there's a description of Christ. In most of the letters, there's a commendation. Hey, here's what you are doing right. And also, in most of the letters, there's then the correction. Hey, here's where, here's where you've gone off track. There's a complaint. And that then leads to the correction of here's what Here's what you need to do moving forward. Here's what it looks like for you to overcome. And, and finally, there are consequences. Jesus says, look, you need to take me seriously. There, there can be a warning, but there can also be the assurance, if you embrace what I'm telling you, you will overcome. So in church after church, different things that are getting in their way, the message is repeated. Overcome, overcome, overcome. Now today we're going to come to the letter to the church at Smyrna. Smyrna was a coastal city, a port city. Probably today it's basically an hour's drive north of ancient Ephesus. And as you read this letter, unlike most of the letters in chapters 2 and 3, one of the things you'll notice is there's no complaint. There's no complaint. 
that Jesus has against this church. As I said last week, Ephesus, remember? Jesus complains, you, you've, you've remained faithful to the truth, but along the way you've stopped loving others. Your church has become a place of loveless orthodoxy. But that's not the case with Smyrna. Jesus brings no complaint against this church. So this is a church apparently where you know, people have been, they've been growing in their faith, growing in their relationship with God. They've been growing in relationships with each other, loving each other and being for each other. Likewise, I think they've been living out their faith so that others are encountering the message of Jesus. Jesus has no complaint against this church. They're taking the right steps. They're moving in the right direction. Nonetheless, they are still experiencing hardship, complication, opposition. Now, some of us need to pay attention to that. Because for some of us, I think an unstated assumption that we have, and maybe we're not even conscious of it, but this is kind of the way we work. An unstated assumption we have is, if I just, you know what, if I just make the right choices, if I just develop the right habits, I develop the right patterns, my life's always going to go according to plan. <laughs> That's kind of what I thought, at least in the first 25 years of my life, right? If I just do the right things, if I make the right choices, things will go according to plan. Things will go according to plan in my family, with my kids. If, 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 if I just do the right thing, life will always fall into its proper place. But if that's how you're thinking, pay attention to this church. Because here's a group that apparently they're making the right choices, they're doing the right things, they're developing the right habits, right? They're going deeper and wider, yet in the midst of that, there's hardship. And to show you what I mean, let's now come to this letter in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, and, right, and now notice here, Jesus introduces himself. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Those are heavy words, aren't they? So, what's going on here? Well, I think it's clear the church is experiencing, in some ways, opposition and persecution. And apparently that persecution that opposition is affecting them financial, financially, economically, right? I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. 
right? It's like you're followers of me, but right now you are feeling the crunch of the commitment that you have made as a follower of Jesus. Now, interestingly, Smyrna really was a thriving port city in the first century. It had a vibrant economy. By Roman standards, it was a good place to live and work. In fact, let me just show you a couple of pictures. When Rose and I were in Turkey this summer, this is obviously one of the places we visited as we visited the seven churches. And so this is part of kind of the Roman market area and so it's a large it would have been a large market area that just gives testimony to the the vibrancy of the economy in that region I'll show you another picture and this is kind of in that same area obviously there was a good water system and there would have been a lot of commerce taking place in this area and we'll go to the last slide and as it turns out there it was actually multi-leveled so this this gives just evidence of kind of the vibrancy economically of this community So for most people, this really was a good place to live, yet because these people are followers of Jesus, there was hardship. And we don't know all the details, but I think in different ways, their commitment to Christ was affecting their ability to make a living. Maybe some lost their jobs, or they lost certain opportunities because of their beliefs. And furthermore, notice that the opposition, the persecution, is linked with the local synagogue, right? I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Wow. That's that's harsh language, isn't it? In fact, some might say that just sounds anti-Semitic. So what's going on here? Well, here's what I think was happening. Here's what I think is the backstory to the words that we're reading here in Revelation 2. In understanding this, I first, first I think it's important to understand that in the Roman world, in the Roman Empire, Jews were given special legal status. And with that status came exemption from certain civic duties. Uh, for instance, they were not expected to participate in certain religious activities. But that special status really becomes more complicated in 67 A.D., Now, why is that? Well, because in 67 AD, the Jews in Palestine revolted against the Romans. And ultimately, it took took Rome several years and multiple Roman legions to put down this rebellion in Palestine. Furthermore, after they put this rebellion down, this became a major topic of political propaganda for the Roman emperors. Look at what we've done. We have crushed those rebellious Jews. And so from that point on, if you were Jewish in the Roman Empire, there was a certain sense that this unique, special status felt less secure. So we fast forward a couple of decades, we get toward the end of the first century, and now we're at the time in which most likely Revelation was written. And so here are these Jews in Smyrna at the synagogue. And somehow, just in the everyday interactions, they become aware, hey, we've got, there's this small group of Jesus followers. And maybe this group, maybe this group is even growing. It's, you know, because these people are, 
they're just living as followers of Jesus. They're loving one another, and, and, and in different ways, that, that message is kind of getting out. And these Jews in the synagogue, they look at these Christians, and it's like, you know, the last thing we want to happen, the last thing we want to happen is to in any way be associated with those people. The last thing we want to happen is for anyone to think we're associated with these people who is saying that Jesus is king. We don't want anybody to think they're connected with us. We don't want anybody to think that we're supportive of them. And so if in order to prove that, we need to turn them in, if in order to prove our loyalty to Rome, we need to kind of let the civic officials know about them, bring accusations against them, that's exactly what, what we're going to do. And I think to some degree this was happening, that people, in order to kind of protect themselves, brought accusations against the Christians, maybe sometimes even exaggerated accusations, in order that people around wouldn't think we're part of them. And remember when Jesus says, synagogue of Satan, remember the Hebrew term Satan foundationally means accuser. And I think that's what was going on here. These people were accusing Christians as an act of self-protection. So that's the situation. That's the situation in the church at Smyrna. So, so now let's just think about us for a minute. Right? So how do we look at this church? Right here is a church of people who are experiencing tangible persecution because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. Even Jesus anticipates to the point that some may lose their lives. And interestingly, when we get to the second century, one of the most famous martyrs in Christian history is a pastor, a bishop by the name of Polycarp, and he is the bishop of Smyrna. He will be executed in this very community. So how are, how are we to think about this church situation? How does this relate to us? How do Jesus' words here relate to us? How are we to engage this passage? And let me just say a couple of things. First of all, I think uh, on the one hand, we need to be cautious. And here's what I mean by that. If we're honest, I think sometimes Christians are too quick to see themselves as victims, right? Somebody doesn't like me. It must be because I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, maybe. <laughs> but maybe it's because I'm a difficult person to get along with. Or maybe if we feel that people disagree with us or they don't always appreciate or value our preferences, we, we feel like we're being persecuted. And, but is that really persecution? Or is it closer to inconvenience? So I think we need to be cautious. But even as I think we need to be cautious, I also think we've got to be realistic. And we have to recognize 
But even as, you know, even as we, even as we seek to engage our culture well, even next week, even as we go out to, to serve and to show and share the love of Christ, there are going to be some people who just don't get it. There's some people who don't always get where we're coming from. And so we have to be realistic and recognize that our culture, as it becomes more divided, as it becomes more pluralistic, means that means that at times people may engage us in demeaning ways because of our commitments. At times people may project onto you things that aren't true. At times you may find yourself in workplace environments or social environments where you're encouraged to act or behave in ways that run counter to your commitment to Jesus. And these moments, these moments can be part of our experience. So I think we have to be cautious and we also have to be realistic as we think about what Jesus says here. Furthermore, furthermore, even even if we don't experience anything that can really be labeled persecution, I think we, we need to be attuned to the fact that in some sense persecution is a subset of a larger category which we might call hardship or even at times trials. Right, those complications, those adversities that are often unexpected in our lives. And often that to some extent they're out of our control. They can be relational in our families. They can be vocational in our workplace. They can be physical in terms of our health. They can come in all shapes and forms. And I think they're things, if we don't engage them well, can knock us off track in significant ways. So whether it's actual persecution or more broadly hardship or unexpected adversity, I do think what Jesus says here is, is really applicable to all of us. Because in some sense, these kinds of situations are probably going to be part of our lives. Given that, how do we, how do we handle these situations? Right? How, do, how, how, do, how are we to come to these situations and handle them well? Well, as you think about that, let me, let me just kind of take you back to interesting language that Jesus uses here. Again, verse 10, he says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to, and he says this, to test you. Now, this is a term that I think translators struggle with exactly how to translate it here because it's actually a term Jesus is using language and I think this is intentional Jesus is using language that can really move in one of two directions it's terminology that kind of carries different weight in different contexts on the one hand this this term the language he uses can have really kind of a negative connotation that is uh Satan wants to tempt you. He wants to bring you down. He wants to cause destruction in your life. But likewise, this term can have a positive connotation of God wants to test you through something. And by that, he wants to refine you. He wants to develop you. He wants to increase your strength. And so 
Jesus uses this interesting term, and, and what, what I actually think is going on here, just due to, and, and there's some complexities of Greek grammar I won't go into, but just the, the way the, the sentence is constructed, I think in actuality, we're to read both of these themes into this text. And if that's the case, here's what I think Jesus is saying. Jesus is looking at this church, right? I mean, and it's like, hey, this is coming. It's gotten complicated. Some of you have lost your jobs, but the persecution, it's coming. And he's saying, and in this moment, in this moment, what Satan wants to do is to tear you down, is to destroy you, is to, is to bring about a moment where you walk away from your faith. But even, even as that's what he wants to do, I want you to know this can also be a moment where God is strengthening you, where God is deepening your faith, where God is refining you, where God is pulling away some of the clutter in your life so that you can see him more clearly, so that you can see what life is about more clearly. And I think what Jesus is is saying in his words to this church is, look, this is kind of, This is the moment where you're at. And in so many ways, this may be a defining moment for you. Because moving forward, your life could easily go in one direction or the other. And I think when we come to these hard places, when we come to these hardships, these unexpected adversities, these challenges that that just seem to come out of nowhere, we need to understand these can be defining moments and we need to understand how we engage them, how we respond to them can mean the difference between our life moving in that direction versus our life moving in this direction. So if this really can be a moment, if this can be a moment where God is actually refining and purifying and developing me, what does it need to look like? How do I need to engage this moment well for that to be my story? Well, in this passage, Jesus gives two commands. Really, he tells us one thing to avoid and one thing to do, right? It's like he says, okay, you got to go in defense and you got to go in offense. You need to avoid this and do that. So what does he tell us? Well, the first thing that he tells us is this. He starts with the thing to avoid. And what does he say we need to avoid? He says, don't fear. Right, verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Now, whether it's persecution or whether it's other types of hardships, these unexpected complexities in life, relationally, vocationally, physically, the reality is these are moments that come with pressure, right? This church was about to experience that. And Jesus is preparing them for it. It's going to get worse, he's saying. These are moments that come with pressure. They come with weight. They come with intensity. And not surprisingly then, with that pressure, that weight, it is, it's natural then for us to fear. And even as Jesus was telling this church, don't be afraid in those situations, I think, um, he's telling us as well. And as you think about his, his statement, 
don't fear. Let me ask you this question. When you find yourself here, when you find yourself in one of these moments, if you've experienced that in life, how do you normally handle fear? Um, or maybe the way I would word the question is, what's your fear reflex? Just think about that for a moment. How do you normal, normally handle fear in some of these situations? The truth is, I think over time, we, we often just kind of develop natural ways of responding, natural habits in response to these pressure points and the fear that comes with them. And sometimes those habits aren't particularly healthy. Maybe in the midst of those situations, what I want, is, uh, what I want to try to do is I want to gain back control, right? When things become complicated, maybe relationships become complicated, parenting becomes complicated. Out of fear, I try to take back control, and I do that in unhealthy ways. Maybe how I handle fear is through, I just disengage. I try to I just avoid certain things or avoid people, avoid making decisions. I even isolate myself. And if I could go back and talk to my 25-year-old self, this would be part of the conversation. Don't let yourself get isolated. I know, I know this has been hard and there's kind of fear and it's just so easy to withdraw, but don't let yourself do that. Maybe I self-medicate in certain ways. Food, alcohol, binge-watching TV, pornography. They're just things that, that I do to distract myself in unhealthy ways when I experience this fear. So if, if there's certain ways you can just naturally respond to fear, just, just be attuned to that. Sometimes I think we, we become so accustomed to responding in these situations in even unhealthy ways. It's become so natural to us. It's become second nature to us that we, we're not even fully cognizant that we are doing it. So be attuned to patterns you may have developed. And if you want an interesting <laughs> conversation for lunch today, if you're having lunch with friends and family, just go around and, hey, so what's your, what's your fear reflex and see where the conversation goes. So Jesus says, don't fear. Now let's be honest. I realize in saying that, that that can seem unrealistic. I mean, right? I mean, just think about this church. You say, hey, guess what? You, it's going to get worse. I know some of you lost your jobs. It's going to get worse. Some of you may even lose your lives. But, hey, don't fear. Well, that leads to the second command because I think, I think what really empowers our ability to not fear is the second command because the second command is be faithful. Right? As he continues, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. And when he says be faithful here, I think what he's saying is, look, continue taking steps and following me. Right? This church has been doing undoubtedly so many good things, so continue taking those steps. I know it's scary. I know maybe because of your fear you just want to withdraw, you want to isolate, you want to pull out of this commitment, but I want you to keep walking, continue going deeper and wider, continue to follow me, be faithful. Now, once again, I realize this is easy to say, but it can be hard to hear, right? Maybe at some point you found yourself in one of these really hard moments, one of these heavy moments, and some person has just looked at you and said, hey, you just need to be faithful. And at the time, you just wanted to say, that's not really helpful. Right? It just kind of, it, it just, it's just, it's like, that's not what I need to, you kind of felt like that's not what I need to hear right now. Maybe you've been in those moments. It can be hard to hear. 
particularly because this pressure is heavy and weighty. It produces fear and weariness. So why should we take this seriously? But very quickly, let me just highlight a couple of things again that I think are at work in this text. Jesus says, I want you to be faithful, right? You're like, uh, Sunday school answer. Why take him seriously in these hard moments? First thing I would just, I just, let me just remind you of a simple phrase he uses right at the beginning of his letter here. And that's the idea of this. He, he knows. Right? We easily pass over what he says as he begins to address this church. But what does he say? I know. I know your affliction and your poverty. You know, one of, one of the hard parts of finding yourself in these situations is when you, when you find yourself in these weighty moments, these fearful moments, these unexpected moments, you often just feel alone. We look around, maybe you, come, maybe you come into the church and you look around and you're convinced, all these other people are happy, everything's going their way, but for me, here's what I'm carrying. And we, we feel isolated. So as Jesus begins to address this church that is now ex- feeling unexpected persecution and hardship, what does he say? I know. I know what you're going through. And remember, as I said earlier, the situation of the church is connected to how Jesus is described and how had he been described in this text? He had been described as the one who died and came back to life. If there's ever been, if there's ever been someone who knew unexpected hardship, even to the point of death, it was Jesus. He experienced the ultimate moment of what that entails, the cross. And yet ultimately God brought victory over that moment. And I think that means God can be at work in your moment as well. And so part of the reason I think we we have to respond in faith is, is he knows. And maybe you're sitting there this morning, maybe you're joining us online, and the thing you need to hear more than anything this morning is just Jesus telling you, I know. I know what you're going through. I know what it's like. Furthermore, I I think we need to take him seriously because this isn't the end of the story. Again, Jesus says, you will suffer persecution for 10 days. And I think the idea of 10 days here is simply you're going to go through hardship, but it will be for a season, right? It will come to an end. And I think, I think this is important to hear because, you know, when you find yourself in one of these hard places, it can feel like this is all you see. There can be other things going on around you, even good things around you, but it's like this, this weight, this darkness becomes all-consuming. And when you find yourself in one of these hard spaces, and I would tell you, this is where I've kind of found myself when I was 25. For that season, it felt like this is just the way it is. And it can be hard even to think that there is light beyond the darkness. But Jesus says, look, this can be weighty, this can be heavy, but it's not the end of the story. I mean, And Jesus was telling them, even even 
if your ultimate experience is death, this is not the end of the story. And finally, I think we, we need to take Jesus seriously here and his invitation to faithfulness seriously here because he's at work even here. And this maybe is the hardest part to really grab hold of because when you find yourself here, it's like, can God really be at work here? Can God really be at work in the middle of this? Can he really be at work in me and around me, given this situation, whatever that looks like for you? And the answer is yes. In fact, it's interesting. Jesus says, look, if, if, if you embrace faithfulness, he, he says, look, I'm going to give you the victor's crown crown of life. And I think on one hand we say, well, he's talking about how, I think that's true, but remember, the language he uses, it's not, it's not a royal crown, it's a victor's crown. It's the crown who, of the one who runs the race well. I think it's symbolic of the fact that God is even at work in the midst of what appears to be darkness. This summer, um, while I was on sabbatical in England, one morning I was kind of in a library reading and studying this passage. And to be honest with you, I was really struggling with it. Right? This is a heavy passage. And I remember thinking, how am I going to encourage people with this? Hey, good news, things could get worse, you could even die. Come on. You know, that's just not how I... I'd like to communicate, and so I found myself really wrestling with what was going on in this text, and how do I teach this? How do I, how do I encourage you with this? And almost like, okay, God, help me understand this. And in his faithfulness, God really answered that prayer that evening. Because that evening we were hanging out with some friends, uh, one of whom is a 25-year-old graduate student. I've actually known him since the day he was born, and his parents brought him home without a name because they couldn't agree. It's a great story. And I hadn't seen him for a while, and we were catching up a little bit, and in the course of our conversation, we talked a little bit about his college experience. He's, he's a brilliant, he's a brilliant guy. He went to a world-renowned university. And while he was at this university, he was president of a Christian organization on campus. And while he was president, for a year, the administration put great pressure on this organization because of their views on human sexuality. And he was at the right, right at the heart of that. They put great pressure, great scrutiny on this organization, even to the point of actually violating the university's own policies and how they are to deal with organizations. And it was a hard season. I mean, at one point, he was telling me what it was like. He's, he's sitting in the office of the dean of students, and the dean of students at this world-renowned university looks at him and says, look, if you just change your views, this all goes away. Right? But these students, they were, I mean, they were, they were not belligerent. They were not antagonistic, but they were faithful in the midst of the situation. They were loving, they were gracious, but they were faithful. 
and how they sought to live out their commitment. And so for a year, for a season, there was this heavy pressure, but finally after a year, the, the university really could find nothing wrong. They put them under the microscope under intense scrutiny, but there was no real reason to complain, and so they backed off. And he's telling me this story. And he gets to the end of it, and I guess I go kind of into pastor mode, okay? And I look at my younger friend, and I look at him, and I just, I say, I am so sorry you had to go through that. And I kid you not, this is, this is exactly how he responded. He looked at me, and he held out his hand like this, and he said, George, don't say that. He said, don't you see, this is what has shaped me into who I am. And as I reflected on that conversation, it's like God was telling me, George, this is what I was telling this church in Smyrna. It was a season, and it was hard. But I was at work. I was completing my mission. And I was at work bringing about transformation in his life. And if I can do it there, I can do it in other lives as well. Thinking about that, I'm reminded of these words in, in the book of James. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So when you find yourself here, and maybe some of you would say, this is where I'm at right now. Jesus says, don't fear. Keep walking. Be faithful. Know that I'm with you. Know that this is for a season. And know that I can be at work even in the midst of the mess. And the promise I give you is the victor's crown. So overcome, overcome, overcome. Let's pray together. Father, as I said, this is a, this is a weighty letter. When I think about that church, I, it's just hard to acknowledge what they've gone through. And when I think about that church, I even think about brothers and sisters of Christ in, in other parts of the world who are going through stuff we can't even imagine. But even though we may not experience that, Father, there are places and times where they, we go through these heavy moments, these hard moments. And so I pray we would hear this challenge, this invitation. Don't fear. Be faithful. And Father, I particularly pray maybe for some of us here who it feels like we're, this is the moment we're standing in right now. I pray in the midst of just this moment that they would hear your spirit clearly say, I know, I know, I know. Father, even in the midst of these heavy words, thank you for the promise that you were at work and that through your victory, we too can overcome. I pray we would hear that clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have members of our prayer team here.
If you're in one of those moments, we'd love to pray with you. There are other ways we can encourage you. We'd love to pray with you. So just make your way to the front as the service is over. And now as you go, in the midst of whatever you are going through, hear Jesus clearly say to you, don't fear. Be faithful. What lies ahead is the victor's crown. So overcome. 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 Amen.